Good to see you, gents. Good to and see you, boys. Have we been missing each other? Oh, uh, there far. you go. That, yeah, that <laughs> sums it up. Um, Father, how have you been? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Very good. It's been a really nice spring, moving into summer. So, um, yes, lots to talk about today. Yeah, I mean, I have seen you outside of the podcast just in case people were worrying that this is purely becoming a, a business relationship um rob i haven't seen you though in all fairness so it probably is <laughs> becoming exactly it's that. exactly that yeah um, friendship gone strictly colleagues now <laughs> associates how have, you, how, how have you been yeah very well yeah how's the garden, the garden looking Mm. It's looking good, actually. Yeah, we've been uh, yeah spending a lot of time in the garden and planting different seeds, and uh, yeah, having a lot of fun. So yeah, looking forward to for today as well. Yeah, because we, I guess we we need to apologise for the hiatus, but um, we have, we are coming back with a new structure, aren't we, lads? So we are coming yep. back with we've we've been going now for I think we've been going for a year. John, can you remember the first? one we did it was lockdown letters i think it was around this time maybe slightly later last year so we've been be. going a bit for of a challenge a year yeah, yeah i can barely and remember last week a lot of the time so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think it's uh, we're almost like we've said we've done our first first series first season yeah um, and this is our second one and we're we're changing it slightly so the first big change is of course that it's going to be monthly and the reason for that is we are going to try to guide people through the rest of the year month by month by giving them an all-encompassing podcast in the first week of that month and uh, letting that guide them through their nature connection uh, for that month ahead. I think that sums it up pretty nicely, John. You got anything to add? Uh, Well, just to add to that, I mean, the, the way I sort of deal with this whole subject of nature connection is it's not just sort of being aware of what's going on around you and in nature but how to apply some sort of a sensory appreciation of it so the more we can kind of feel it the more real it will seem to us and the more ultimately we'll we feel part of it which is Mm. you know the, the ultimate thing i'd like to achieve there we go. A year in, and he's getting so professional. He's teed us up for our first section already because we're going to split this up into three sections now. This uh, podcast, and we're going to reveal them one by one as we go throughout this first episode of our second series. And the first one, Rob, perfectly teed up by Father Nature himself. There is all to do with the senses. And would you like to tell our dear listeners and John himself? what we've decided to call section one yeah so this is the big reveal to john as well isn't it so john i hope you like these so section one is going to be called getting some sense out of father (laughs) (laughs) yeah thanks for holding that one one back easier said than done getting some sense out of father bearing in mind we've we've only got 45 minutes to an hour um so Getting some sense out of Father, John, is basically you guiding us through the month from a sensory perspective. So uh, as many senses that you want to run us through. Mm -hmm. And what would you like to start us off with? Right, let's start off with the big exciting thing that happened to me last week. Um, Okay. So, shall I give you, first of all, an audio clue? And you can tell me what you think this sounds like. Okay, so uh, let's check here. Sounds like your microphone when you joined the pod a few minutes ago. (laughs) Yep. 
<laughs> oh, hang on. No, that that you're not far off. It sounds like static. It sounds like it could be it could be bees. <laughs> Perfect. Well yeah, done. That's a swarm, right? So that last weekend, uh as is you know, um a, a lovely sign of a, a of May, really. Um I had a swarm of bees around the garden and uh I, I sort of went out and thought to myself, right, I've got to go grab a nucleus hive to try and capture the swarm because... But Please what tell me you went and caught a hive. I did. Well, not a hive, no, a swarm. you didn't. Yes, I did. And so... <laughs> Running around uh, the garden with a big net or something. I think you'll find it's on the... Um, the evidence is on the, uh, the Father Nature podcast, of course. Uh, so, um, so basically what happens is when a, a swarm of bees or a, a um, colony of bees starts building up in numbers at this time of year, you can have the dear old queen. She's been laying 2,000 eggs a day and the uh, grubs are all hatching out. When it starts to get a bit crowded, they send a message round to... Uh, nurture some special cells which they feed with uh, raw honey and rather than produce worker bees they will become queen bees or a queen bee now when that queen hatches a hive will only ever host one queen and so another message gets sent round and that queen will leave the hive with approximately half the colony so you could be talking 15 20,000 bees and they all take off and they'll fly around for a bit uh, the only male bees that are ever produced are called drones and they will try to mate with her repeatedly and uh, other worker bees will try to find a, a suitable place to settle this is where Father Nature comes in. He goes hurtling down the garden to find a, a small hive, which is known as a nucleus hive, which can sometimes smell a bit of like honey and a suitable place for their new sort of hotel. And I stick that on my patio table and wait for a bit, surrounded by this cloud of bees. And in the meantime, our lovely neighbours message me to say there's loads of insects in the garden am i doing something <laughs> and uh <laughs> they're I wasn't, bolting the windows shut like, oh <laughs> keep an eye keep an eye so, and so what, why all... would there be loads of insects because of what you were doing or oh, there wouldn't be well the, the, what they meant was the bees because oh, so, so, the swarm right. the swarm basically was swarming round uh both ours and their garden and mm. the fortunately Did they you make settled... it onto the village whatsapp group or not no, no uh, because I was, I was too efficient. <laughs> I mean, in no time at all, they had said to me that the swarm had settled on a bush in their garden. So I took round my Perfect. swarm, my swarm gathering <laughs> And expertise. now they've got a beehive. <laughs> and yeah. ushered them into the hive. And basically you wait till nightfall and then you, you make sure they're shut up and uh, because they don't fly at night. So they're all in the hive. And then basically took it down the bottom of the garden, and the following morning I decanted that into a full size hive. So we're now back in back in business on the apiary front. Uh, it's been quite a difficult few years for beekeepers, as we've mentioned on the podcast before. And uh, but the main thing, uh, it's, I'd, I'd love people to look out more for honeybees. Uh, they are so so important, and as I say, they've they've really been having a critical time of late. But they they think that seventy five percent of all flowering plants on Earth rely on bee pollinators, and to bring it down to a, what you might call a more commercial or applied level, about thirty five percent of all of our food plants are pollinated by bees as well. So. Uh, massively important uh I've, i don't know the truth of it but einstein always said that mankind would only last four years without the bees you know if bees were lost and uh so i'm really chuffed to have them a lot of beekeepers now are even keeping bees uh for conservation reasons not not even just for the honey um certainly when you get a swarm 
you don't necessarily expect to extract honey in the first year, even though there's an old rhyme that says um, a swarm in May is worth a bushel of hay, which is good. A swarm in June is worth... A bushel is like a large amount as opposed okay. to just a small amount. Uh, a and a, a swarm in June is worth a silver spoon. So could be good, you know. Um, and a swarm in July will surely die. Now, the reason for <laughs> that is if you get a swarm in July, and it's quite feasible to do so, they won't have enough time over the next couple of months to build up enough honey to see them through the winter because of course for several months of the year there's not so many pollinating plants about so our dear honeybees stand a very good chance of uh starvation and that's probably the main reason why they they uh die out if uh, uh, most commercial beekeepers will feed their bees through the winter oh, i've always tried to leave on just enough honey if you like make it a little bit more natural mm. uh, you did you not catch your swarm in april no because it was the first of may oh <laughs> well soon to be yes, a bushel of hay then it was my my beltane <laughs> present from mother nature so are you now a beekeeper then unofficially well i've always been a beekeeper but i've been a lapsed beekeeper I've been a beekeeper without bees. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Um, and just to confirm, so what you did was you set up a little hive thing at the bottom of the garden with some honey. Is that something you made? What is the, when no. you say, is that... Okay, so if we we quickly look at a structure of a hive, okay, you, what you've got is a box, a large box at the bottom of the hive, which has got frames a bit like sort of like picture frames with wax foundation in and that has a queen excluder on top so the queen spends her whole life in that box and all of the honeybees will pull out the honeycomb and uh, she will lay eggs in each one of those uh, cells the honeycomb cells and then the bees will feed the uh, eggs when they hatch a mixture of pollen and nectar uh, and they will develop into more worker bees so all the worker bees hatch out as sterile females so basically every honeybee you see in your garden will be um, a sterile female and they all work and they all have different jobs so, so quite a few are foragers and some are there to uh build wax all the time some are there to tidy the hive some are there to keep the hive uh cool and some are there to guard the hive entrance uh each uh sterile female only lives for about six weeks when they're working when they're in a cluster in the winter they they obviously live a bit longer um whereas the female she can live for three or four years and uh and she she's the one that everything protects so above the queen excluder you'll have the same thing happening they will be storing uh their their honey but they won't they, the queen won't be able to lay eggs in it which means that the beekeeper can come along and spin out the honey or take off the honeycomb and it will be pure honey as opposed to having quite a few cells that might have you know uh bee, bee grubs in and things like that right so but so, what, what you've done is yeah. you've got you've made you've made it this little nucleus hive and yeah. did you say you mentioned there was honey in it as well so so that is what attracts them uh well i actually obviously loaded them into it but i have in the past uh only on one occasion i've i have had a swarm that's literally just arrived and gone straight into an empty hive well, I'm trying to figure out, was it just a coincidence that there was a swarm in your neighbour's garden or had you attracted that swarm? Uh, well, I can't really answer that but I because they might have been attracted by the fact that I've got empty hives down the bottom of the garden, but they were certainly up the top and they didn't make their way to those empty hives. So I would say, yeah, probably coincidence. They knew who they were dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were spiritually <laughs> they drawn towards me. 
need yeah. a new home. Wow. <laughs> Excellent. So what's what's the plan for the bees then, John? Are you yeah, what's the long term bee plan? Yeah, Father Nature Honey. Is that is that a new um, potential cash cow? Father for Nature the Honey would be great. <laughs> I mean, what I want as much as anything is to add to the number of honeybees around. Um, I I will manage them, uh, and by manage them, what I mean is if you you need to go through that brood chamber that I was talking about, and you need to make sure that a they don't get too crowded. And uh, if they start developing queen cells, you need to knock out the queen cells so that they restrict themselves to one queen. And if I can do that, there'll they'll be a nice strong colony uh, to go into winter with hopefully, you know, some honey reserves to keep them going. And uh, the other things that I would do, and one of the things I'd like our, our podcasters to think about is A, just keep identifying have a look at honeybees in the garden they very rarely sting um but have a look at them you should find that they've got big balls of um pollen <laughs> on their back legs all right okay. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't abbreviate that at all uh and uh but obviously they're also taking back nectar which then needs to be sort of you know manufactured into honey mm. uh so other things you can do to care for bees is basically anything fragrant that flowers is likely to attract bees because it'll have nectar. Um, another really important thing, which is you know quite fun to do, we, we've all learned about feeding birds that water is just as important. If you've got a, a half a well something like a um, a dustbin lid or something like that, which you can set up much like you would a um, bird bath but put a load of pebbles in it um, but also fill it up with water so that the pebbles are just above the water and this will provide a drinking platform for well bees and all manner of insects actually uh, it's bees drink a huge amount of water and drought kills them so uh, if you can provide a bit of water for bees uh, you know just that very shallow it because it's shallow it does evaporate a, a lot so don't don't put it in you know direct sunlight otherwise you'll be constantly refilling it and uh, but you'll you'll find it's a it's a resource that also will connect you to bees and things because you'll see them coming in great okay well rob i think we've got some sense out of father wouldn't you say oh one last one last <laughs> thing of course which i know you've oh. both done but also support your local beekeepers if you can buy local unblended honey not only is it the best for your health because it will be from your local area so it will help keep you guarded against hay fever and such like but uh it will also go directly into helping your local beekeepers yeah i can vouch for that i went to the um i went to the garden center a few weeks ago and picked up like some local honey from around here and it's delicious good it's really nice yeah a note on the blended actually because it is quite important um most co- well a lot of commercial honey that you get is blended and to so it comes from numerous different sources but they heat it to blend it and if you heat it you destroy a lot of the um goodness of the honey a lot of amino acids and such like um so uh so try not to buy blended I'm not saying it's not okay, but it's not as good as pure honey. Okay. Right, John, we want more scents out of you, please. As in another sense? So we've yeah. done seeing bees. Please look out for bees. And also, like before we leave bees, if you do see a swarm of bees, please just John running look after it. the Beekeepers <laughs> Association. Yeah, yeah. But uh, let see if you can contact a beekeeper beekeepers association just let them know because bee swarms are very sought after so that that's the last thing on on bees so let's um let's move to something which i hope you might have all heard by now and so this, something we can hear yes so this is what we're hearing and uh it's a fabulous sound and you will know it it's very familiar so here we go I mean, I feel like that's too obvious to say. 
<laughs> okay, that's a bit obvious, Sounds but would like you have clock. known this? <laughs> so have a listen to this. This is the only recording I can find of this, and it will happen very quickly. So silence all and listen. Is that a cuckoo and a nightingale? No, but it's not a bad oh, guess, but that bubbling damn. sound is actually a female cuckoo. Oh, that's and the obvious one. <laughs> yeah, but at least, I, at least I made a shout. Rob was sat there silent, looking down. <laughs> well, perhaps he just didn't furiously. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yes. In utter disbelief that he'd heard a female cuckoo. <laughs> Well, a lot of people who hear that just wouldn't know Shazam what it was. It. <laughs> yeah, I've done, I've done a fair bit of cuckoo watching, and I quite like trying to call them up, and it does work. Um, but for me, go on, give us a blast, John. You know our listeners love oh, it. Oh, hold on, come on. How was that? Nice. <laughs> you don't even believe really I did convincing. that, do you? <laughs> That's really yeah. nice. Yeah, okay, really good. So, can you do a female uh, or not? No, I definitely can't do a female. <laughs> no, okay. I'd have to gargle with something pretty pretty good for that. There'll be some outside your window in a minute. That's very good. <laughs> so cuckoos for me, um, as somebody who's interested in nature and, wait for this, nurture, are one thing that just defy so many laws of sort of logic. So here we have in a cuckoo... Um, a, a literally a parasitic species of bird so the males and females they arrive in sort of april from central africa they've made their way back um feeding as they go um they don't necessarily do a direct flight they, they is, can be quite dog-legged and they will tend to follow similar uh journeys each year we know this because uh, some of them have been tagged now and you, you can actually follow their progress on uh, BTO websites and such like. So when they arrive in this country, the male is fiercely territorial, uh, but it's a different type of territory because he's trying to um, solicit the attention of females with which to mate. But of course, everything changes then because they don't build nests. They look for nests of other species of birds, and then they will. The female will lay one egg in the the uh, a nest that she's found that might belong to something like a meadow pipit or a robin uh, or a dunnock, various species, and she will lay one egg in amongst the eggs or the nestlings, indeed, of that species. Now, when no. that so a that is amazing b what is also amazing is the uh the female cuckoo that lays an egg in a dunnock's nest will lay a different colored egg to the one that will lay an egg in a meadow pipit's nest so they've got the ability wow. to change the color of the egg that they lay and so is sorry is the host of the nest aware that there's like an in, you know an imposter egg in that scenario. well they're not this this is what is so incredible the the idea of presumably having this because the egg is often bigger but because it's a similar shade and uh coloration the parent birds don't do anything about it nor do they do anything about the fact that when this chick um hatches it already has an incredible amount of energy and it will literally uh, cup the remaining eggs or nestlings on its back and churn them out of the nest. So it's got a quite a dark natural history. Any, any other bird in a cuckoo's nest will be destroyed. It will be turned out. Will the host uh, mother or female... And father, yeah. And will they, will they continue to look after that cuckoo until it is of a size where it can fly Absolutely. off? Yep. Really? So they think it's one of its own? They think it's one of its own. And not only that, the growing cuckoo chick, um, because it's getting the entire attention of both parent birds doing the feeding, it it well because it and because its ultimate size is bigger. Uh, it will often be two or three times the size, 
or more of the parent birds and you will see in various bird books they've got photos of things like wrens and uh, dunnocks and meadow pipits and um, various other types they will literally perch on the back of the cuckoo and this cuckoo will raise its head over and obviously open its mouth and you get the gapes which are the really attractive thing and they will just keep piling food in and they're so the the veracity of which a young cuckoo solicits food will even make some other uh, types of bird that aren't its parents inadvertently feed it and so anyways but we're still getting that this freaky nurture and nature thing is is still you'll you'll see why it freaks me out so much so given that by the time that cuckoo becomes mature its parent birds would have set off back to uh central africa they'll have gone and yet that bird come maybe sort of late august early september will be ready to make that journey itself on its own with no sort of like you could say things like swallows and house martins and various other birds they tend to migrate on mass like in flocks so they kind of and they tend to be with their parent birds as well so you could say well it's learned it's not learned in a young cuckoo it's there's no preconception there it's inherited and that, my friends, is freaky, isn't it? It's just amazing. <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah, and it will crazy. go back to a very similar place that its parent birds came from, but the likelihood is it will never ever meet them, other than massively coincidentally. It'll probably and have a word or two to say to it them as well. <laughs> Why did you abandon me? Halfway around yeah. the world. Yeah, but then it will come back to a similar area to where it was born, and will they think lay its eggs into a similar host bird which brought it up but that for me you know that's the thing when you hear it think a little bit more about the the natural history of a cuckoo because it it defies so much logic it is just you know it's it's just a, a bit of a mind warp thing yeah that's quite incredible. Well, thank you for that, John. We uh, we definitely got some sense out of you there. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, Rob, do you want more? Yeah, if John's got some. Okay. Uh, John? On, on cuckoos? No, we no. want different senses now. We're done with the cuckoos. Let's... They astonished us, but we move fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you ask anyone what their favourite um, flowers are, they're often spring flowers and somebody was talking to me the other day and said why there's so many beautiful like woodland spring flowers and the answer to that is because we the the last few weeks have been um the last weeks that we can expect to walk in a wood without the trees being uh, fully clothed in uh, leaves and therefore the light levels are actually really good in woodlands uh for april and may so the fruition of that is things like bluebells and i wanted to talk about bluebells because it is one of my favorite smells this time of year okay, um, so this is the smell yeah so this is this is the experience to, to smell so the smell of a bluebell is is deep and heady and intoxicating um to the extent that it's even said that uh the smell was created by fairies uh in order to entice people into their enchanted woods from which they would never return and, we were doing uh, so well john with getting it. some sense out of you <laughs> up until this point it's such a shame we shouldn't but, have gone uh, for another one <laughs> In in the same way that I've been sort of like my connection to nature thing is like plunging your hands into molehills and stuff like that. If you're in a bluebell wood, get down on your hands and knees and get your head amongst that uh, fragrance <laughs> because it doesn't always rise up too far, but it often sits in a huge cloud underneath. And of course, why are they fragrant? 
to attract the pollinators and uh so that that's another thing i'd I'd love people to do if they if they can just get out and really uh smell those flowers it's an interesting plant because for all of its lovely fragrance it's not edible so it's not one to forage it's it's actually meant to be toxic to humans uh when i see bluebell leaves emerging quite early in the year I often notice that they're being eaten, which I think is probably by deer, maybe rabbits. Um, so I presume that they can eat them. And I know that often they're dug up and uh, crunched on by badgers and such like. So I presume that they can get away with eating them, but I d- don't know that it would be a massive part of their diet. Uh, so um, the only other thing I was, was going to say, which for me is a, a, a wonderful fact about uh bluebells is their sap has uh, traditionally been used as a glue and it was most important uh, in the sort of 16th century uh, 16th and 17th century for sticking the feathers onto arrows a job done by a fletcher and uh, so um, it apparently makes for a very good uh, glue I know some bushcrafters will sneak the odd bulb to demonstrate the use of it as a glue although i can't recommend that because you're not meant to uproot wildflowers so um so there you have it that's that's what i'd like to call our our sort of smell for the, the this yeah. podcast well can we get any more sense out of you john dare i ask or should we draw a line a very there? quick one no let's oh, go okay. for a very quick okay. one because there's not Fine. much time left for this particular plant because it's it's another one of our woodland or, or this podcast sort of... in all fairness <laughs> <laughs> so wild garlic everyone loves garlic and wild garlic is is one of the allium family um it's deep and pungent and tasty and it's so super abundant i mean if you get it in your garden you would pretty much call it invasive so there's no issues with sort of picking it um it's the one thing about it as i say is it doesn't last very long probably over the next couple of weeks is is the the only remaining time that you've got to do it a lot of people pickle the flower heads and uh they're great but myself, I mostly just use the leaves. So you can pick the leaves, make a pesto. Um, last year, I just literally, for an experiment, I just liquidized a load of leaves with some uh, olive oil and I, I froze them in tiny little pots in the freezer. And that's given us sort of some wild garlic to mix into your stews and stuff thereafter. Although it's, it's great in salads as well. It smells, it smells very garlicky, doesn't it? But... Yep. There's no relation to actual garlic, is there? Yes, it's allium family. Yeah, so oh, okay. it's, it's so of the onion is... family. But people and it does have a bulb. Would... Yeah, people who haven't seen wild garlic before, they um, might be expecting to go out and be able to find what we know as garlic in everyday sense. Yes. But it's just like... It's... I know what you mean. It's a they're, much they're leaves, broader leaf. Yeah. yeah yeah it is a much broader leaf than garlic and onions yeah um and the flower is very different of course onions and garlics that we grow in the garden they do also flower um yeah. but we don't usually let them flower because we're we're seeking the 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 um the bulb uh, mm. for culinary purposes yeah uh, but, but you definitely um, will smell wild garlic won't you it's it's oh yeah, yeah you don't have oh, yeah. to, to to really get in amongst it like your bluebells you'll often just no. smell it whilst you're out if you walk. just i mean there, there's various things that have got a leaf like it but there's nothing else that's got a leaf that like if you just rub it between your sort of thumb forefinger you'll get that release of garlic essence and uh and again like like with anything that you might forage it you know check it out against your your foraging book or or you know google images whatever you might use and uh, just to make sure so that you're happy but it's a great it it really is a great uh nice and easy foraged plant and there's a bit it has various folklore things about it actually i mean it, it's it's not folklore to suggest that it it builds a constitution and makes the blood strong that that's well known but um 
if if you plant it round in your garden and your if your house is surrounded by wild garlic, apparently it keeps the naughty fairies out. So there you go. <laughs> Worth knowing. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. Oh, well. We tried. <laughs> right, yes, as ever, uh, only pick things if you're sure about them. And I think, Rob, shall we move on to section two at that point? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> We've exhausted father's sense. Rob, what shall we be covering in our section twos from now onwards? So this part of the pod, we're going to be asking father what events are occurring within the month we're talking about. So, you know, in the past, we've done things around harvest festivals or Lamas or um, summer solstice, etc. So, yeah, in this part, we just want to have a, you know, a discussion around what we might be celebrating or what's being marked within the month. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we call this section... What's in Father's Diary? <laughs> mm. But we don't want to know about all of the other crap you get up to. We just want to know... Oh, come on. It's we just on a Saturday night. Yeah. I like to be what diverse and eclectic. You know that. Our audience. Yeah. So, okay. um, what is in Father's Diary for me? Right. So, the I think the thing that's probably most public at the moment, um, because I, I believe it was on... Um, country file and that is no mo may now we did this um well we've done it a few times actually we we did it with uh the the grass that was underneath our apple trees quite a few years ago and and we also did it on our front verge if you remember all, all through the sort of lockdown and everything so what's it all about so no mo may essentially means letting your grass grow for a month now a lot of people won't find this practical and they like their lawns so i would say to them don't feel you have to commit your whole lawn to it just commit a section to it and that will actually prove to you what can happen now i know rob you've got a different lawn to most people well i'd like to congratulate so- rob for completing no no may already <laughs> But I could, I have, maybe I can help Irene complete. No, <laughs> yes, May. yeah, very good. You've helped her. You've helped her ever since you moved in, in that department. Yeah, bless Irene. Yeah. I hope she listens so to this. Should, by the way, so what you do what, basically? What should people do like Rob then, who do have an artificial lawn? Oh no! If you've got an artificial lawn, then no mo may is irrelevant, as is looking for wildflowers in your artificial lawn because that probably won't happen yeah i think the only thing an artificial lawn is good for in fairness is just like a mulch to stop anything growing and uh if that's practical this is exactly what we're trying to achieve with this pot (laughs) stop things growing prevent nature (laughs) yeah it's just one of those ironies rob which you'll when you find something that you want to do with the garden you can gradually get rid of your artificial lawn i mean you inherited it it's not like you put it you down concrete mate, so over don't beat, it don't beat yourself up <laughs> a nice big patio <laughs> <laughs> yeah so no yeah. mo may okay yes. let's supposing uh you've got an area of lawn and that's supposing that you can afford to space wise just leave an area that you don't mow and what you'll find is you might have thought because you mow it so often that there's hardly any plants there but in actual fact what you'll probably find is that if you don't mow it for a month you will have things like good old-fashioned favorites daisies dandelions plantains uh thistle various things like that now if you let them grow guess what you'll get all the pollinators in which means that Mm. you'll have various flying insects bees we are so passionate about tonight but uh, also uh, moths butterflies hoverflies anything that needs a bit of nectar and of course you might get uh, if you allow it to grow you'll have the food plants for quite of the a lot of the other um life stages of various invertebrates i.e the caterpillars and so you know for instance if you get some uh, garlic mustard growing up jack by the hedge that's a food plant of the orange tip butterfly uh 
various of the grasses um, provide food for uh, the blue butterflies. So um, if you have your sort of no-mo patch against your normal lawn, it'll just be really fascinating to actually watch it and see just what differences it, it makes. And it might be that thereafter you think, well, how big a lawn do I actually need? Because the rest of it, I can operate as a bit of a wildflower meadow, and it, it is important. We've we've lost, um, I, I can't remember what percentage they said of wildflower meadows, but of course back in the day, when hay was grown for um, sort of animal feed, uh, it would largely be unimproved grassland, and so that hay would be full of uh, flowers and herbs that were just part and parcel of the uh, grass and scene. Now, these days, to be honest, uh, you get a a monoculture of a sort of more vigorous grass type, some of the rye grasses and such like. And the wildlife value is very, very low in that. And so it just doesn't support the, the life. So if we can all have and all contribute to the sort of uh, that environment then or that habitat I should say then we're going to be starting to compensate for the loss of the wildflower meadows just bit by bit but it all helps okay so is there anything in your diary that Rob can enjoy doing this month as well or (laughs) not and artificial <laughs> lawn owners alike. Well, yeah. yes, there is. We're a big this, community. <laughs> this is something which you can enjoy, um, whether you're in the countryside, whether you're in the city, in a town, in a village, wherever you are. Uh, May is probably the peak time for bird song, and so. And the the particular, if you want to call it an event, I'm talking about is the dawn chorus. Now we've had conversations of, of before about what uh, what actually is dawn. Um, I did um, actually. I want to give a shout out to Elsa and her lovely family because they joined me for a dawn walk uh, last weekend, and our meeting time was four thirty a.m. Now you might say, well, it wasn't sunrise till five thirty, but the point is, there's that uh, lovely time between uh night time and sort of uh when sunrise is and uh photographers sometimes call it the blue hour i gather um but it's not even an hour uh but it's 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 just twilight basically and you get it at the other end of the day as well so muscular yes that's the dawn and dusk dwelling creatures um, oh right well remembered time Okay. Well, I'm just going to shout yeah. random words that have some relevance. <laughs> <in the conversation. laughs> well, no, uh, what it else is the time. You call it civil twilight. Yeah, that's the opposite. Wasn't yes. It? Yeah. Well done. Mm. Yeah. So, so anyway, so we turned up at four thirty, and uh, basically at that time of night, we could just hear uh, tawny owl, and uh, they're just hooting nice. away in the distance. So that that's nice enough, but basically absolute silence. And I bet they're delighted that they got up then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, because it only took another 10 minutes before the first rocking started to sing. And then it was only another 10 minutes after that that the blackbird started. And then we had the the lazy old sort of drooling sound of wood pigeon. And as we we walked very slowly and purposefully uh, down the lane, various other things and filled, uh, started to join in till by about sort of five ten past uh it was actually a real cacophony of sound it's quite difficult to start uh dividing up the different species because it's so loud the other reason that i'd love people to experience it is because your other senses are different first thing in the morning the smell of the countryside is different. The feel of the air is different. There's no airplanes going over. There's no traffic. Uh, and so, essentially, you can really focus on, well, 
I was going to say the peace, but it's not peaceful. Nature's never peaceful. It's actually quite vibrant. But, you know, you get the, the, the smell of the bluebells just hanging in that sort of slightly humid sort of uh, air because the sun hasn't had a chance to come up and dry things off. Uh, we we had a particularly beautiful morning. It was It's chilly that time of day. But... Um, the birds are absolutely going for it. And I I would also say, as I, as I said to the lovely family that I took out, you, you don't need to rem- worry about identifying all these birds and remembering them. Just appreciate the actual, the, the lovely noise that they're making. Identification just comes with time and familiarity. So I, I always say, you know, don't beat yourself up about that. Just enjoy it and, and love it. And all, even though you will obviously, I mean, we're, we're, done and dusted by sort of i don't know about eight o'clock um and you're thinking to yourself well i didn't get much sleep last night but it doesn't matter does it (laughs) (laughs) if you say so (laughs) yeah well i thought i'd have a relaxing word for it yeah yeah i thought i'd have a relaxing day after that but that's when i was i was just sort of like making some soup and stuff and uh that's when i saw the swarm of bees outside so It's a hell of busy, a day for busy you, in the countryside. Yeah. Busy as a bee, some might suggest. Right, yes. let's then. So, just to sum up, John, we're saying if you can get yourself out and listen to the dawn chorus in the early hours. Yes, and the event being no mo May, I, sh- I should have added, it is an official event, and so if you want to, I think that there's a website. I haven't checked it out or anything, but there's a website you can go onto so that you can actually identify what you have growing in your no mo may patch so you can get much more involved in it if if you fancy section three then the final section of our new episode structure rob what is it so this section is really just to give our listeners and us a bit of an insight as to what john is doing this month um so that we can try and inspire our listeners to either get out and do what he's doing or just to really dive into John's personal life. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> really just to breach his privacy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the section of uh, the pod is called What on Earth is Father Doing This Month? Right. <laughs> what well, on actually, Earth mm. is Father Doing This Month, though? Yes. But- it's actually going to be a rather different month this month um and i'm going to sort of probably use some sort of like strange downtime to do a lot of planning essentially i've got to have a little op on my spine which is going to sort of lay me low from my usual sort of like uh, activities only for is that a short from carrying while. the two of us for the last year <laughs> more than the last two years mate but anyway yeah, um uh yes yeah, so but i was i was thinking to myself because i'm i'm gonna be obviously compass mentors and around and doing stuff and it's it's quite a good time to think about just planning forward because obviously i'm gonna have my sort of rehabilitation and i'll get strong again in no time and i'm really looking forward to what you might call a bit of a reset button and thinking about what we want to do well what we want to do with things like father nature you know how the podcast goes how we can influence other people how we can develop the the nature connection sense how we might even be able to do some things in actuality as opposed to online uh you know some some events and such like but i was also thinking well maybe our if our podcast uh, sorry our, our listeners um at this time of year you might be thinking in terms of well what you're going to do for your summer holiday and i was just thinking then well maybe it's time to sort of pumping the idea of there's loads of sort of like nature type things you can do during holidays uh you know you you can go on sort of birding holidays or nature holidays wildlife watching holidays uh you can do things like conservation holidays which are quite active and quite social uh it might be that you want to do more staycation stuff and uh 
go to things like wood fairs and stuff like that. I'm a big fan of wood fairs. They're all sort of uh, great fun. They usually have some music with them and such like. So, so essentially, although that might be, I hope not too disappointing for people. I'm going to be in planning mode uh, by June. I will have a lot more going on uh, because I'll be sort of more active again. But how about you guys? What Are you planning forward with anything you might call sort of nature orientated in the next sort of few weeks or months? I certainly am. Um, so one of our the points we discussed in our new year's resolution pod was to try and grow something from seed for the first time so last in the last month or so i sowed um a load of tomato seeds the chili seeds from the chili we tried and ate live on pod (laughs) um and some lettuce and so i've been nurturing those really from my desk because it's like a warm sunny spot so I've transferred them now. So they, from the initial kind of pods, they're all in into slightly diff- uh, bigger pots. And we've got maybe seedlings, which are two or three inches high. So yeah. I'm kind of in planning as well, because I know that they're going to need to be transferred outdoors, you know, when the time's right. But at the moment, I don't really have you know, an environment to put them in, which I think is suitable. So I'm either going to I'm looking at basically building a, a raised bed. So yeah. I'm in planning as to whereabouts that will go and how the hell I'm going to make one. Um, <laughs> not quite the expert woodsman that I probably think I am. Um, You'll be surprised. So, yeah. So so I'm, yeah, likewise, John, I'm, I'm looking to plan um, exactly, you know, as yeah. you are really. Look around for tea chests and things like that in secondhand shops and stuff, and mm. fill them up with a good peat-free compost, and you've got yourself your your instant raised bed. Beautiful, fantastic. Well, John, we wish you all the best. Thank you very much for your op. Yeah, good and luck, mate. Yeah, thank you for for all of your knowledge yet again. And hopefully that has guided you all through May and uh, lots of things to look out for and to enjoy and to do as well. And any feedback or whatsoever about the new structure, do let us know. But of course, we will be back at the start of June. John Mm -hmm. will be post-op and raring to go. And um, we'll be heading, John, dare I say, into summer. Oh, absolutely. Well, June the 21st, of course, is midsummer. Oh, so, well, let's not let's well. not spoil anything. <laughs> let's not spoil anything. Right. All right, then, gents. Um, I'll speak to you in a month, and then at that point, Dad, you can tell me how your op's gone and everything. Yeah. All right, then, the chaps. Awesome. Guys. Thanks for that, guys. Che- cheerio. Thank See you, you later. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.